Hello, everyone. We're glad you found us, and welcome to our podcast at AntiqueAuctionForum.com. We hope you find this show entertaining and informative. This is Martin, and on the line today, we have Terry Franks, CEO of Fine Art Registry. Terry, how are you doing? Great, Martin. How are you? Good. Thanks for joining us today. Now, you have a very interesting website, and we're going to talk all about that, um, Fine Art Registry. And can you tell us about the genesis of this of this product that you you offer? Yeah, it's actually, it's a you know, product and service. It's a service for artists and collectors. The genesis of it is, uh, was uh, back in no, 2000 or so, the year 2000, I sent some pieces off of my own for authentication to Europe. And um, I thought, well, gee, when, once they arrive in Europe, uh, what if they go missing? Hmm. What if, uh, you know, they're lost or they're stolen? How would, it, you know, how would anybody know if they ended up at auction, for example, or somewhere on the market? Uh, how would anyone know they were mine or that they were stolen or, or missing? And so I thought to look for uh, a service that I could uh, register the works with before I sent them to Europe uh, to make sure that, uh, you know, that, someone would know that they were mine and they could be traced back to me. Well, there was there was really nothing out there at that time. There was RFID uh, uh, chips uh, that could be attached to a piece, and that's radio frequency ID for your listeners that may not know. But anyway, it was cost prohibitive, and I thought, gosh, there's got to be a way to do this. And uh, it just so happened that one of my Jack Russell Terriers went missing one day, mm-hmm. and uh, I had bought her from a pet shop, and uh, I went to, I found her at the Humane Society, went to, get, to take her home, and they asked for ID. And, of course, they wouldn't let me have her because she had been scanned. And the pet shop was still the owner of oh. the dog, as far as they were concerned. And until they could verify that, they weren't going to release her. So I came back the next day. They verified everything. I took her home, and I, I just... I thought, my goodness, there it is, right there. If I can, if you can chip a dog and find out who the last owner was, why couldn't you do that with a piece of art? So that's where my research and development started. Came up with a te- permanent tagging technology for the artwork. So now that artists, collectors, museums, galleries can actually register the details of a piece permanently in a database and actually it's based i found the getty's object id too that's a core standard for the identification of uh, art objects and uh use that and their core standard to develop the technology around it so that's that's basically how it got started and from there we developed other technologies to, to tag art now when, when pieces are actually tagged how are they tagged like is it a permanent situation and let's see let me just ask this question you have a frame and you have either a canvas or, or a board um, where the painting is on so how does this tag permanently stay with with the situ- with the uh, piece itself well it, it's it's a polypropylene they're all acid free 
uh, materials that are used. In fact, I went to, to meet with a conservator just for the adhesive alone. Um, mm -hmm. You wanted, I wanted it to be uh, to adhere to the canvas or to whatever substrate, meaning canvas, paper, uh, sculpture, pottery, whatever it might be, even fabrics. I wanted it to be able to adhere and not just fall off. So, uh, but it couldn't be so strong that you'd have to cut it out of a canvas in case the canvas had to be relined or whatever the case mm -hmm. may be. So. Um, it's a tamper-evident tag, so it does attach to canvas. If you were to remove it, um, it, uh, it destroys the tag. In other words, the tag can't be reapplied to something else uh, and have it look correct anyway um, on a field check. I mean, it just won't stick to the piece. It does leave behind some residue uh, that we can find, that we can de de detect um, in the field. Um, so that's sort of how that the initial tagging technology works so it's all been designed with you know archival materials and and uh it, it took us forever to to uh to get the adhesive rights and make sure that these were materials that would not damage any valuable or any piece of fine art mm -hmm. now can you uh, walk um the listener through exactly how this works and also um like down the line how how um, a piece is going to uh, follow through from sale to sale? Sure. It, you know, you could think of it, for artists, it's wonderful because it's, it's not just a tagging technology to deter theft, to track provenance, but it also, for artists that are creating today, it's wonderful because they can actually track uh, where their pieces go. After the first sale, generally artists lose track, right? They don't know when it's sold to the... You know, it goes on the secondary market and is sold to a third party and a fourth party and, and on and on and on. Mm -hmm. They lose track. But with this, they, you know, just like a VIN number is to a vehicle, you transfer the ownership, right, when you sell a car. And then the new owner's recorded. And you can go to Carfax and learn, you know, who's owned the car before, how many owners it has, whatever, or had over the period of years. It's basically what Fine Art Registry does for artists. But more than that, it also... It also documents the artist's history. So 50, 100 years from now when they're dead and gone, we all, you know, we'd all like to live forever, but we're not going to. Mm -hmm. So it, we're kind of, I, I like to say that we're the Ancestry.com for artists, you know? And uh, so, you know, 50, 100 years from now, you might pick up a painting in a, in a, at an auction or a, or a uh, antique store, and it will have the Fine Art Registry tag on it. You enter the number in, and up comes that particular artist's history. So where do I see it going? I mean, it, it tracks ownership, it tracks provenance, it tracks the history of the artist, um, and it, it deters theft. Uh, it helps with copyright issues. There are all kinds of issues we deal with with artists. We advocate for them and for collectors too, mm -hmm. but you know it really helps establish that artist's body of work permanently. And so we had a situation with a gal in Canada, an artist in Canada that had consigned her pieces to a gallery. For example, this is how we helped one artist, and uh, she consigned them. She didn't have a contract with the with the gallery. Um, many artists really don't wear that business cap sometimes, and they should to be you know to protect themselves. But she consigned it without a contract. The whole mall that this gallery was in was, uh, or, or this facility was seized by the government, I guess, for back taxes, whatever the case might be. 
and they were going to sell all this artwork off for salvage. They, uh, mm. because these artists, or she could not prove that she had a contract, therefore she didn't own the artwork, they thought the gallery did. Well, she was the only artist that had her work registered with Fine Art Registry. She could prove the date and time that they were registered and where these pieces, that she did own the pieces. She was the only artist that was able to retrieve her artwork, and she got it back. Wow. So, which was amazing. So that's how, that's just one of the many ways that our system can really help artists. Um, there is another situation with a, an artist named Lorna Wallace um, that had an issue with Chanel. She does uh, artwork and she paints logos into, uh, into her pieces. Uh, she's still painting today because of our system and what she registered. So there's just, there's so many benefits uh, to what we do and for collectors as well. Um, mm -hmm. So it, 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 there's just all kinds of uh, ways that an artist can benefit with our system, linking to their Twitter account, linking their Facebook account, um, and, and really keeping their buyers in touch with what they do. And uh, we also allow them to sell on our website at no commission, the registered pieces. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, I know that in California, if a piece sells on the secondary market, in other words, at auction or some up public manner that the original artist or the artist's estate can receive, I believe it's 5% of that sale. Are you familiar with that? Yes, I am. Yes, I am. I don't know how often that's enforced. I wish it would be. Um, that's another uh, great, uh, that's another great uh, benefit to our, uh, to our system and uh, the registration process. Um, the auction houses should know that, uh, you know, even, I guess, I don't know how many auction houses actually research that because, you know, how do they know? Is it the artist that's consigning the artwork or is it some third party? And does the auction house actually go through the process of tracking down the artist to give them the 5%? I don't, I don't believe so. Um, from what I have seen since I've been in California is that if the artist's estate or the artist does not contact the auction gallery. Now, this is for pieces, I believe, over $2,000, if I'm right. Um, but if the artist does not contact the auction gallery, um, the auction gallery does not seek out the artist to pay them that commission. However, if the artist or the artist's estate does contact after a sale, then that fee is paid right away. And now that's actually written in some auction gallery contracts as well. So the fee comes from the seller itself. Which is pretty Which I interesting. Think is great, I, I wish it were, you know, it, there, that's what our system is meant to do, is to be able to track things like that. And I had hoped in time that we would be able to assist auction houses. In the UK, they do that as well. I don't know how well it's going for them to enforce such a thing. Uh, it, it's almost an, a daunting task to be able to document and to follow that. So... Mm -hmm. um, but that's what our system is meant to do and, and probably could be very useful to auction houses and, and uh, situations in the UK where that is, is going on um, to, to be able to help with that sort of thing. So maybe in the future that'll be, that'll be something we can work on. Okay, another, uh, I, I want to run a scenario by you. Say, say I inherit an estate and from a long lost aunt or uncle and they had their pieces registered with you. I didn't pay attention to them. Uh, it went to an auction and sold at an auction, 
and so uh, and then sort of spread to the wind all over the place. What happens in a situation like that? Does a final buyer say, "Oh, I'm going to check this out"? Does it, do you have your website on the tag, or uh, how does how does that, what happens in a situation like that? Okay, I, just to be clear, you have the collection, right? Or I inherited the collection, and I didn't inherited the collection, and then you took it to auction. Took it to auction and didn't pay attention to the fine art registry tags or anything. Just had it all sold, and then it's scattered all over, say Europe and everywhere. Um, okay. Okay. So what what happens at at this at this point? You mean if, if ownership in the piece isn't transferred, which we do. I mean, there is ownership transfers that, that happen. So it would be hard for you not to recognize the tag unless the, unless the owner or whoever registered the piece put the tags in a spot that are more, more covert and you could not see it. Mm -hmm. But it would be very noticeable. Um, it would have our the number and it would have www.fineartregistry.com on it. Mm -hmm. So you'd be able to research that yourself. Um, it's, it's, you know, even though they're probably a little larger than a U.S. quarter, um, you're still going to be able to notice it. Now, what happens? Really nothing. I mean, that the new owner may, you know, whoever buys it at auction may see the tag and they'll log in and they'll see who the original registrant is. And do they, at that point, since they're the new owner, do they register and then register as a new owner? Well, that would that would result in us having to, if that were the case, we it would have to be the last owner of the piece, which would have been you through the estate. Mm -hmm. We would have to try to contact to the last. You know, I go back to the dog scenario. You know, mm -hmm. they had to call the pet shop to make sure that I was the owner, so that they could verify and give her to me, so I could transfer ownership of that tag that was on the dog to. You know, to me, so it, it worked the same way. Whoever bought this piece at auction would go to Fine Art Registry, they type in the tag number, and it would bring up the last registrant. Now, they, they would want to transfer ownership. They may fill out, and it's easy for them to do. They would sign up as a free member, and they'd click on Request Ownership Transfer. I see. Now, okay. now if the person is no longer living, the email address is no good that the request goes to, then they may phone us and they'll say, well, I just brought a whole collection from an auction house or three or four pieces. How do we contact the owner? Then that's when we would get involved and try to help them locate the last known owner um, and, and see what happened. We do all we can anyway. And that may be contacting you. You know, we may find that you're the one, and maybe you're agreeable to transferring the ownership in the system, and then it goes on from there. Mm -hmm. And there, there may be some cases where we don't, where we don't find you, you know? Uh-huh, uh-huh. But, but again, I don't see how you could, if the tags are placed properly um, and, and it's visible, then you're going to see it and you're going to, you're, you're going to take care of that situation, but mm -hmm. you know you can't uh, you can't call every situation out there. But um, you know we do our best to help and try. In fact, we had that situation come up recently with a, um, someone that uh, is deceased in Las Vegas that had a huge collection and registered with us. And we're working with their attorneys right now to figure out what's what. And so it's great for probate too. So you meant you bring up a great point. Mm -hmm. It's just excellent for probate if someone dies leaves this all to you, you're going to be able to go into the FAR ID numbers and find out what those pieces were worth, at least at the time of registration. So 
you're, you know, some people like my daughter, for example, she could care less about art and collections. You know, I know that though. <laughs> I hear this I all die, the time. <laughs> huh? I hear this all the time. All the young people don't, you know, they're not interested or, you know, what, unfortunately a lot of young people, I mean, when I'm dealing with people all the time that have things for sale, they, they say the same thing. My daughter's not interested. My son's not interested. My grandchildren are not interested. I hope that changes, but... Uh, right, and, yeah. but if they're not interested, the beauty of finite registry is I can just can just say, here's, here's uh, you know, make sure before you, <laughs> if I die, go to, into, you know, the account, make sure that all the, you know, do you look at what you're selling and don't put it in a yard sale somewhere, you know, make sure you know what it is we've got here. And it just, it's so helpful. So we've helped in situations like that with uh, probate issues, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. Someone might be in hospice, for example, and we've, we've worked with uh, trustees in that regard. So it, it's just a, our system serves so many different purposes. Now, I see where it would be very beneficial for museums to have this uh, registry done, uh, but I know how museums are really slow moving as far as, changing what they do are you have you worked with any museums we've talked to some about it it's a passive technology uh meaning it's inexpensive i mean you know when you get into rfid situations and active what we call active tagging technologies where you know it's monitored that's one thing ours is passive so it serves as a inventory a theft deterrent and mm -hmm. all sorts of things but with with museums, and in fact, this whole system is based on the Getty's Object ID. Um, if you knew what that was, way back in 1996, Eleanor Fink with the Getty Information Institute got 18 countries together, you know, with insurers, uh, antiquity dealers, antique dealers, police, uh, you know, FBI, law enforcement, and they came up with this core standard because things were missing from museums. I mean, people would just walk mm -hmm. out with them, whether it was employees, docents, whatever. Mm -hmm. They just end up missing. And I think that there are a lot of museums that don't even know that things have, even to this, you know, it may be years or months or whatever before they determine, oh, gee, that, that's been missing? Oh, we didn't know that. Well, well they may never know. <laughs> yeah, because they have so many things. Right. So uh -huh. it, it's really important that they... Uh, you know, that they use the Getty's object idea, but the, the object ID did not have a technology. You know, it was just a piece of paper, you know, fill mm -hmm. this out. And, you know, because, you know, really, when you think about the World Trade Towers, roughly 60% of what was lost in collections in the World Trade Towers on 9-11 was never inventory. It was never, wow. uh, you know, made a there was never a record of it. So those insurance companies had to pay out I'm sure billions and billions of dollars on uh, art, you know, valuables that may or may not have been, you know, in existence. I mean, it's just, it's, it's really, uh, it, it's something that needs to be done. And, you know, people don't think about these things until the disaster happens. In fact, I'm, I'm writing an article uh, for Chubb, this April issue, that uh, deals with that directly with disasters, what to do, how to prevent, you know, loss, economic loss, you know, assuming that your human life is spared, you know, you, you do start to worry about your heirlooms and your art and your collectibles and what, what happens. How can you prepare for something like Japan? Right. What happened in Japan, for example? Right. Now, as a, as a fine art 
appraiser myself and a appraiser in general um, what would I have an advantage of telling my clients um, you know you should register these pieces and and how would I go about um, helping them out with that oh well we have appraisers that are actually uh, uh, members of ours mm -hmm. and actually provide a service for their uh, for their clients and actually have um, you know a nice uh, you know revenue stream from that. Hmm. So they would purchase you know the the finite registry tax and our service, and when they go to appraise, they offer to register their collection for them. Well, I think I'm going to start offering that. How about yeah, that? Yeah, and so but it, what's wonderful about it is that we have appraisers that are actually finding a whole new stream of revenue here that they didn't know that they had before. And what a terrific service because they keep those clients by registering their collections. The clients will call them and say, hey, I just, I just, I'm selling such and such a piece and I'm buying another one. Can we get that registered? So it keeps mm -hmm. you, as an appraiser, it keeps you always in connection with these clients, more and more referrals. They love the idea of having their collections tagged and registered. And it's just a, it's just a terrific way to, uh, I don't know. It's just the synergy is just is really great in that respect, and you know a whole new revenue stream for an appraiser. The same for museums, or really for museums and galleries too. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's just walk someone through this. Like to say, okay, I have I have five pieces of art, and I want to register them with you. How does that process work? How does it begin, and how does it? Um, how do these? How are these? As the person here in California, um, I want to do this. So walk walk us through how that happens. All right, you would log on to Fine Art Registry. Go to fineartregistry.com. <laughs> you would click Join Far, um, and uh, if you want to order the tag, get started. You would you would sign up for an individual. If you want to manage your account, you don't have to, but if you want to manage your account, you buy a an annual membership. For an individual, it's twenty nine ninety nine a year, very inexpensive. Mm -hmm. um, and then you purchase the the minimum amount of tags that you can start with is ten. So you purchase ten; they're three dollars each. Mm -hmm. um, we do have quantity discounts, but um, for those that are you know large galleries or museums or you know uh, commercial entities like appraisers that might be doing the service for their clients. Um, but as an individual, if you're an artist, you're an individual. You're You'd buy the individual membership, you'd buy, buy the uh, 10 tags, um, you fill out all the information online, we ship the tags to you, those tag numbers are put into your, your user account right away, so you can begin registration that minute if you want to, before the tags are even shipped to you. So, um, and then from there you can build your, your bio, you can add your Twitter, your Facebook, your YouTube videos, whatever it is to help you market if you are marketing, you're, as an artist, you're, you're, most artists are marketing their work, um, so we help them with that while making a permanent record of their work. Same for collectors. There are collectors out there that actually have this, um, there, there are others that are, are using this service to help other uh, collectors register their, their uh, works of art. So whether it's art or, we have a category for everything, really, for photos rare books, manuscripts, so it's just not art, it's every genre 
Wow. Of fine art and collectibles. I was going to ask you about that. Now, so it would be the responsibility of the person that's registering these to, to put the information in as far as uh, images and size and uh, medium and stuff like that. Correct, and mm -hmm. description. And the more descriptive you can be, the better. Um, we are going to be offering uh, soon, we're gonna, you're going to be able to upload documentary evidence uh, in support of the piece. Let's say you've got a bill of sale or you've got a, an appraisal that goes with it. Um, you're going to be able to upload those uh, documents and choose whether to show them to the public or not or just, you know, have it as part of the piece. If you're just a collector and just registering your collection for insurance purposes, for probate purposes, for whatever purpose, um, just to have an offline in or an off-site inventory, then, you know, you're going to want to do that. Um, so we're offering that, too, um, soon, hopefully. We'll get that programming done to have that to offer people. But So, yeah, that's exactly the way it would work. Now, is there anonymity in this? In other words, like if I have a collection and I want to uh, have it online, you know, I want to have it registered, but I don't want anyone to know that it's my collection, how does that work? Absolutely. You're only, you're only known by your username on Fine Art Registry. Mm -hmm. So any of the personal details um, are not going to be there. Um, it's a bit different with artists who want to be known. You know, uh, mm -hmm. and even in those cases, there are artists with uh, that use pseudonyms that, uh, or have several different accounts because they pay or they paint under. You know, they might do abstract under one username, and they may do I don't know uh, something. You know, outsider art on a different. You know, they may do different styles, so they have different accounts set up for that. So yeah, that's exactly uh, how it would be. Mm -hmm. Getting back to, I, I actually have a friend that has what could be a very important painting that he needs to, he was going to actually fly to uh, France to have it authenticated and go through all that process. I know it's, there's a lot involved and a lot of time involved usually for a major painting. Um, so what advantage would he have, it almost goes back to the genesis of your um, creation here, what advantage would he have by registering that piece before he knew it was authentic? Well, first of all, you know, he's making a record. The beauty of our website, I mean, you're not going to have, criminals aren't going to want to come in and, and register pieces, you know, because they make a record of their crime by doing so, you know, <laughs> and, and they're eventually found out. But, you know, for him, it's like me. I wanted people, I wanted everyone to know, you know, uh, the details of that piece and as specifically as possible because, uh, there have been situations, because some of what Pine Art Registry does, and, and you may get into this later, I don't know if you intend to, but we investigate, part of what we do on the other side, the flip side of the services we offer, is that we investigate art crime and art fraud. And we advocate for those who find themselves in situations that are a little dicey with respect to that because it's an unregulated art market. So for him, the idea is if that if he's ever separated from that painting from any amount of time, we've had situations where these paintings, the, the genuine one, has been taken, hidden, or whatever, and a copy has been made and given back to the collector. Oh, what a nightmare. Mm. Yes, mm. and there have been situations where, you know, uh, paintings have been sent to Europe and have been destroyed 
because they're not authentic. Right, I know that, yeah. So you see, and so in this case, if he had it registered and hopefully, you know, insured for whatever amount, uh, you know, whatever the insurance company insured it for and it was destroyed, then, you know, there's a good possibility that the insurance company would pay the premium. I mean, pay the uh, the loss. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if it'd be replacement value. It, it would all depend on how it's insured and how it's underwritten. But um, those are just some of the benefits to registering the piece. Um, and if it ever goes missing, it, it, you know, they can go in. Anyone can go into the registration, change that status to stolen, mm-hmm. and put the date of the theft or the date it was lost, and it comes up in our stolen lost art database for people to research. So pieces have been recovered that way. Wow. Now, I the one thing that... That, that has always bugged me, and I understand why the pieces are destroyed because they're fraud, but I would want to be right there in front of them when they destroyed it. You know what I mean? Um, well, and it's not just because they're fraud. Um, it's because they're not – it's because that particular uh, expert, whether it's uh, uh, an expert in Picasso or whatever, says it's not a genuine Picasso piece. And so they have that they would destroy it, so it doesn't go back into circulation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That happens frequently. Yes. Now I was uh, I was involved in an artist's estate, a very well known uh, American artist's estate, died in 1949, and um, uh, it was his actual the daughter of the artist. And I got in there, and there were about a hundred really beautiful pieces that went for lots and lots of money at the time and there was a box in the back room and I started looking at them and I'm thinking boy these aren't really that good and what I found out through a former curator was that these pieces were all confiscated fakes and it was so lucky that they didn't get back on the market they didn't you know I don't know whatever happened to them but I gave them to the family but you know eventually if they aren't destroyed they can get back on the market again. Well, the U.S. Postal Service did that. They put them all back in, into circulation. A, a Dali pieces, Dali prints. Did you hear about that? No. Back in the 80s? No. Yeah, back in the 80s. That's how they paid some of the legal fees and costs associated with bringing the criminals to justice. Uh, the judge ordered, okay, we'll just put a little label on the back saying that they're counterfeit, and then we'll just sell them as counterfeits. <laughs> well, the problem, the problem with that was is that that could be separated from the piece and still, you know, it's, it's like counterfeit bills. It just, it was just crazy. I can't, I, I, you know, this is well before the advent of the Internet, but can you just imagine doing that today? Yeah, yeah. Now, I want to, um, I could talk all day about frauds and fakes and all that. I, I, I do want to tell you, I, I, um, <clears throat> I've always had the attitude with a nice painting that it's guilty until proven innocent and, uh, um, because of so many things that I've seen over the years and a very interesting uh, quote from someone that I won't say his name but he's probably one of the leading art dealers in the country in New York City um, told me he says he can be wrong up to 10 to 20 percent of the time there's so many frauds and fakes how do you regulate for someone that's going to register art whether it's um, it's an authentic piece or not. I mean, that, that would be such a hard thing to do with all these people registering their artwork. 
Yeah, we really don't. We don't get into the authentication end of it. To, mm -hmm. You know, they have to, first of all, when they're signing up on our website, they have to agree with our policies and, uh, you know, our user agreements, which is very clear. If we find out that someone is, is doing uh, things that aren't, aren't right, I mean, we try our best to, you know, we're trying our best to eradicate, you know, this kind of thing, but you can't, criminals are clever, especially in the art, art business and because of no regulation. So there's no way we'd have to have, in order to, to make sure everything is authentic. I mean, with, with living artists today that are creating, creating their own work, I mean, that's not the problem. It's the works that are on the secondary market that are, are primarily problem. If someone, like I said, if someone comes in and registers a piece knowing it's a fake and has the intent to do harm or to violate uh, some law or sell a fake and, and knowingly sell it as a fake and they're registering the details of it, and but they'd have to register all the details of who they are too. I mean, they'll be found out eventually. So they're actually making a record of their crime by doing it. So Not real smart. <laughs> And it's been my experience since Fine Art Registry, we're going into our 12th year now, it's been my experience that the criminals out there are the, are the crooks that want to do, that want to rip people off and victimize people, will not, absolutely will not register the pieces with us because they know, they know that it's, it's, you know, we keep a close eye on it. So, I mean, in order to authenticate every piece that's registered with us, we'd have to, can you imagine the, the number of experts we'd have to have on board? Yeah. And then, and then that's a whole hornet's nest because there are many authenticators. You know, one piece can be authenticated today as an original Dolly painting. Three mm. years later, another expert will come along with additional evidence to say, hey, this isn't Dolly at all. Yeah. So the first expert changes his mind based on, you know, new evidence. So mm -hmm. that happens constantly in yeah. the business. So Yeah, I couldn't see how that could possibly be regulated. But you're right. So, but there are there are some pretty uh, stupid criminals out there. <laughs> oh, yeah, there are. And they, and they're usually caught. So yeah. but but the the bottom line is we do our best with what we've got right now in in technology and and we do keep it a close eye. And in fact, we've come on some interesting situations with registrations that have led us to some, uh, what we believe is, is, uh, criminal activity that, uh, you know, it, it, eBay is rife with, uh, fakes and frauds, for example. And they can't. Yes. <laughs> I think Tiffany, you know, there were Tiffany pieces being sold on there that were just completely, complete knockoff that happens all the time. Yeah. I mean, Hollywood can't even manage the, uh, the uh, you know, pirated copies of movies. I mean, it's just crazy. There are people out there, they're mm -hmm. always reinventing themselves and, and figuring out ways to beat the system. So right. we do our best to keep an eye on them, that's for sure. Whenever something brings some money, I mean, I, I talked to a military um, expert, and he's saying that they're even faking World War II pieces that are worth only twenty-five dollars. You know, so anything pieces, that I, I mean, I do collect a lot of militaria myself, and in fact, I've sold a lot of militaria uh, to to uh, universities and historical societies over the years. So, did he happen to mention whether they were photographs or letters? No, he, what, what? he was saying um, pins and things like that. I can't, uh -huh. I can't oh, even yeah. believe that's fake. But, yeah, the same with, uh, con you know, Confederate and Union and oh, yeah. Civil War-related items. Oh, yeah, it's that's, rampant. That's big money and that, that type of uh, that type of things. Unfortunately, that's part of it. And, um, um, you know, as far as art goes, 
that's where the big money is made in fakes. And uh, I, I had, uh, you know, many times in the auction business where someone would try to, it always seemed to happen the same way. I'd be having a really nice auction. It would be advertised. And all of a sudden I'd get a call like two days before the auction and someone said, well, um, you know, I have a uh, Winslow Homer I'd like to put in your auction. And it doesn't have to be advertised. And it's like, you know, uh, no, that's okay. You know, I mean, it's really it's really something. There's just a lot of uh, pieces out there. And I'd suggest to any listeners, if you're into collecting art, make sure you get it from a reputable dealer or someone that will stand behind it. Absolutely, and do your due diligence. I mean, and not even, like you said, it's it's uh, guilty until proven innocent. That can be more true. Um, and you want to look, very often, criminals will use, uh, unscrupulous dealers will use documents to support. Oh, yes. And, and these documents are often faked and forged. It's, it's the easiest thing to fake. Sure, and the COAs, yeah. Mm-hmm. And many times, an authentic, let's just take a, a, a very well-known artist, for example, uh, you know, the, all the dead artists, the most faked and forged of the industry, Dali, Picasso, uh, mm-hmm. Miro, uh, all of them, Chagall. Um, people recognize those names. That's why a lot of the unscrupulous dealers out there will use those names, <clears throat> because they can hook people that way. Right. But, uh, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, um, to get a certificate, I mean, a legitimate, let's just say you have a certification on a Picasso drawing. That certification by a, rep, by a, um, a you know, whether it's Maya Picasso or whoever might be doing it, those certifications on those pieces are often, when you think about it, worth more than the artwork itself because without that certification, mm-hmm. it would be used, it just would be worth, you know, uh, as an attribution maybe or, not even close to the money it would bring with an actual certification of authentication. Does that make sense? You know, it's funny when you're, you're, you mentioned this because um, I probably have a bad attitude on this, but when someone shows me a Picasso or, or a Dolly or, or something like that, and it has a COA with it, I get suspicious, more suspicious than if it doesn't have one. <laughs> exactly. No, you're, you're right. Yeah. I mean, but I'm talking about a uh, an actual like, uh, okay. bona fide certificate mm-hmm. from uh, the estate, whether it's the Pollock oh, sure. Foundation for Jackson Pollock, or whether it's Maya Picasso who's doing the authentications for uh, Picasso. Don't, and and it, let's say it's going into a Christie's or Sotheby's sale. Um, those certificates are gold, okay? Mm-hmm. Because without it. You don't have authentication. So, yes, you're absolutely right. If someone, any of your listeners out there, are given a COA, Certificate of Authenticity, signed by a gallery saying that Dolly signed this in 1964 at the Hotel Maurice, well, okay, how do you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How do you know? Did you were you there? Did you see him sign it in 1964 at the Hotel Maurice? And <laughs> you know, you know, show me verifiable evidence that that is actually his signature. I mean, that's what's happening in the art world today. Right. So they should suspect any documentation, you know, that that follows, unless it's the artist himself signing it in front of your eyeball, you know, sitting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> then you should you should uh, suspect it a- absolutely. We're running out of time here, but 
I, when I looked on your website, I saw there was, you have all kinds of things going on, articles and things like that. Um, can you tell our listeners quickly some other things that you have going on on your website? Yes. Uh, well, we have, uh, we try to offer all kinds of uh, articles to help artists uh, market their work. We have uh, articles about female artists in the 19th century. We have all sorts of uh, articles of interest. We have uh, a lot uh, going on with art crime and art fraud. Um, we're adding new things all the time. So uh, we're just, uh, we have hundreds of articles in our library. Um, and, uh, and your listeners can really educate, help educate themselves on how to, how to go out there and safely navigate, if they're collectors, buying in an unregulated market. They can learn a lot from our videos. We have videos. Uh, we just have to, we have so much material. It probably you'd be on there for months, <laughs> you know, trying to access it all. Great, great. All right. Well, thank you so much, Terry. This has been uh, very interesting, and I hope our listeners will check out your website, and some of them will register with you. It's been a pleasure, Martin. I really appreciate you calling, and I hope that. Uh, we can speak again soon sometime. Yes, very good. So, this is Martin Willis with Terry Franks from Fine Art Registry, and we're signing off. website antiqueauctionforum.com please stop by the forum message board click on the community tab at the top of the menu bar and you can join in on a topic post your own website links and do a lot more thanks so much for listening and we hope you enjoyed today's show